Well, let's turn for a short while this morning just to Deuteronomy 32 once again. A short talk perhaps this morning. Here's something which is just amazing and only has come in this morning actually to me. A, um, it, it's uh, from a, an old, a, a paper in Islamabad. And it says, Minister wants Obama to become Amir ul Mominin. And I'll tell you what those words actually mean in a moment. In a development that could be duly termed as one and only of its kind, an incumbent government's minister has urged United States President Barack Obama to offer Eid prayers at Ground Zero Mosque and become Amir ul Mominin of Muslim Ummah. Before I go any further, I'll explain what these expressions mean. You know, we're always saying that we believe that Obama is a Muslim. And this is a, a minister in the Pakistani government who's saying this. But a, a mullah is a Muslim scholar, teacher, or religious leader. You got that? That'll come up in the thing in a minute. A caliph is the head of state in a caliphate and the title for the leader of the Islamic Ummah, an Islamic community ruled by the Sharia. The early leaders of the Muslim nation following Muhammad's death were called Caliphate Rasul Allah the political successors to the messenger of God and that's referring to Muhammad some there's also there were also caliphs were often referred to as Aman al Munaman commander of the faithful Iman al Ummah or more colloquially leader of the Muslims commander of the faithful or leader of the Muslims and this minister wants Obama to become Amir ul Mominin leader of the Muslims commander of the faithful this is amazing President Barack Obama he wants him to offer prayers for the festival which comes about after Ramadan. And he thought he should offer him at Ground Zero, at the Ground Zero Mosque, and become Amir ul Mominin, or leader of the faithful, or leader of the Muslims. Minister of State for Industries and former member Pakistan Ideological Council Ayatollah Jirani called the nation, that's the paper that's published this article last Wednesday to register his demand made to President Obama 
The coming Eid would expectedly be observed on 9-11. This is a golden opportunity for President Obama to offer Eid prayers at Ground Zero and become Amir ul Mu'minin, or Caliph of Muslims, leader of the Muslims. In this way, all the problems of the Muslim world would be solved he thought. Durrani argued that Muslim world was in dire need of a caliph and the distinguished slot of caliphate would earn President Obama the exemplary titles of what he termed Mullah Barak Hussein Obama or Alama Obama. The time is approaching fast. Barack Hussein Obama must act now. This is a golden opportunity. Muslims badly need it. He added, saying that the elevation of President Obama to Muslims' caliphate would be the key to success. And that was published in Islamabad. Uh, and it just came in actually this morning. Isn't that amazing? That the Muslims consider Obama should become their leader. People won't believe it. Really, you see. So, let's turn to uh, Deuteronomy 32. We saw last time we met that Paul and the scriptures were always anxious as to how Christians walked in this world. Having been freed from the bondage of Satan, we need to ensure, and they wanted to ensure, that we should walk not as the Gentiles, not as we used to walk in unbelief, and, but to walk worthy, worthy of the one who has called us out of darkness. And as we look around this world, we realize what a dark world we have been saved from. But we have been translated and brought into the kingdom of God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he stressed then, Paul stressed in his letters and elsewhere, to ensure that we do not use the freedom we have in Christ to please ourselves, our fleshly desires, but to walk doing all things to the glory of God. But these Israelites failed. Now we come to God's summary of their actions and his judgments prophesied here against them. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32, we read a few verses from verse 16. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. 
And when the Lord saw it, he, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those that are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap mischiefs upon them. I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust, the sword without and terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also, and the man of grey hairs. I said, I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel. Neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. What awesome judgments in those verses would follow from their God? What a litany of failure and sin that had provoked God into such anger and jealousy. You know, we're told God is a God of love, but God is a jealous God. Why has it happened? We're reminded of those words in Noah's day. Genesis 6 verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man is wicked. Man is evil. Man's thoughts are away from God. What actually had gone wrong? We take a, a quick resume of what had wrong, gone wrong with the Israelites. Verse 15, they had forsaken God. And when we forsake God, we're left with nothing else except evil. They treated God lightly. Verse 15. Verse 16. 
they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. Strange gods. They provoked him to anger with, with abominations. They were happy to eat unclean food. They worshipped idols, mixed marriages with the multitudes around them. These were abominations that provoked God to anger. And then there were disgusting wicked practices which also provoked God to anger. Abominations. They sacrificed unto devils. Now the word of God tells us that the gods of the nations are idols. There's only one true God. They sacrificed unto devils. They sacrificed to gods whom they knew not. We saw that when Paul was on Mars Hill, wasn't it, that he said there was a, a statue to the unknown God. These Israelites, they sacrificed to gods whom they knew not, to new gods. They made new gods up and worshipped them. Verse 17 reminds us again, they were unmindful and forgot that God had formed them. God had brought them out of Egypt. God had formed them. God had created them as a nation. They were unmindful. Verse 21. They provoked God to anger with their vanities. Oh, things that are worthless, things that are flippant. They provoked God to anger with their vanities. And God was angry. And through Moses, this prophecy was given to them as to how God would punish them. You know, this song, when we started looking at it a few weeks ago, we thought perhaps maybe this was a song which would the Israelites might have in some ways enjoyed. But this has become something which was terrifying. A prophecy which was going to take place to these children of Israel because they had spurned God. They'd made him jealous. He was going to have them cut in pieces. Verse 26 in the New American Standard says, I will cut them in pieces. I will remove the memory of them from men. And still, yet through it all, if you look at verse 28 and 29, they are a nation void of counsel. Oh, when we go away from God, when the Christian moves away from God, we're devoid of counsel. The Holy Spirit in our lives, if we don't allow him to work in our lives, we lose the counsel of God in our lives. There's no understanding. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives that helps us to understand scriptures, to understand God's word. But if we neglect the Holy Spirit in our lives, we lose all that wonderful comfort and counseling 
and the help we get from the comfort of the scriptures. And then, listen, God says, Would that they were wise. Oh, that we as Christians, as we move around this wicked world, that we are wise. Not in our own sense, but only the wisdom that comes through living a life close to God. Oh, that they would discern that future. That they would, it says in the authorization, that they would consider their latter end. Where is it all going to lead? God wanted these people to ask themselves, where is this life of, that we're living now? And the life prophesied here, away from God, where is it all going to lead? We should ask ourselves, perhaps, of the life we live, where is it all leading to? No nation on earth has ever had the privilege that the Jewish nation had. God, for the tabernacle, and God said, make me a sanctuary. I want to come and dwell with you. That had never happened a nation before. No nation on earth had the privileges that the, the, the Israelites had. God wanted to dwell with his people. Make me a sanctuary. And yet no nation on earth has been called upon to suffer such deep discipline from God in the past, in the present, and yet to come in the future. But God, you know, has not forgotten his covenants unto his people. There will be a day of repentance. And a time when Israel will fulfill God's plan for them in this world. Romans 11.25 For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Zechariah 12 teaches the same things. Verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourn mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, 
and their wives apart. The family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart. The family of Shemel apart, and their wives apart. All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. You know, as we read these verses and the condition in which Israel found themselves, I realize that as we look out over our world, we see a similar situation with the Gentile nations today. You know, there was a time when our country here, there was at least a nominal belief in the God of the Bible. But those days, sadly, have long passed. In our land we see worship of gods, which our fathers knew not. We see abominations being legalized by our governments. We see a rise in occult practices. The message of hell and of a lost eternity is taken lightly. And the name of our Savior is mostly recognized only as a swear word. People don't take responsibility for their actions. I saw on the, on the uh, news this morning about children under 12 should not be accused of anything. Except they murder somebody or rape somebody. People don't want to accept responsibility for themselves or the responsibility for others. However, much more seriously is the situation within churches, ecumenical services, where the names of gods whom our fathers knew not are blended with the name of our God by the followers or so-called followers of Jesus Christ in our grand cathedrals and elsewhere. Here's something of interest. We have the Pope coming in a few days' time to Britain. We're told that he should be accepted by all. But here's something he's recommending. Pope Benedict XVI is recommending that everyone have devotion to a particular saint. He suggested, for example, a namesake, so that the saint can offer closeness through intercession, but also be a model to imitate. The Holy Father said that it is important to have travel companions on the journey of our Christian life. I'm thinking of a spiritual leader, a confessor, persons with whom we can share the experience of faith. But I am also thinking of the Virgin Mary and of the saints. Each one should have a saint that is familiar to him. The Bible talks about having familiar spirits. And this is just exactly what this is going to be. Should have a saint that is familiar to him to whom he feels close with prayer and intercession, but also to imitate him or her. Hence, I would like to invite you 
to know the saints better, beginning with the one whose name you bear. So if you're John, you should start looking at St. John, and so on. By reading his life, his writings, you can be certain, you can be certain that they will become good guides to love the Lord evermore and valid aids for your human and Christian growth. Now anyone with any knowledge of scriptures knows that the scriptures warn about attempting to pray to the dead and suggesting that spiritual guides can get us closer to God opens the door to demonic realm and strong delusion coming upon people. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But that's what's happening around the world. There was another interesting thing. In a church in Chicago, Roman Catholic Church in Chicago, it features an image of Mary. And what they have is a copy of the, the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubs uh, over it. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant, where the mercy seat was, where God dwelt in the tabernacle of old, he would come down. Instead of God being there, they have a statue of the Virgin Mary. This blasphemous image occupies the central altar where Mass is performed. The Church's official literature says that the image depicts the Catholic doctrine that Mary was immaculately conceived and sinless and that she participated in Christ's suffering for mankind and that she was bodily assumed into glory and crowned Queen of Heaven. And there she has this thing, Mary as the Ark of Mercy, and it was dedicated in May 2008. What connection can we have with a Pope and an organization that promotes such things? And God says, they provoke me to anger and jealousy with strange gods. God is provoked to anger and jealousy by strange gods. And what about evangelicals that get involved in this thing? Every evangelical whatever denomination he is, who has said positive things about Rome and who has participated in ecumenical relations with Rome or who has failed even to lift his voice against Rome's gross heresies, will, I believe, answer to God. He is going against God's strict command in scripture earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints and they need to repent for keeping silence in the face of evil
And so as we just close this little section here, may God help us, may God help us to maintain an uncompromising position before all men to the glory of God. Let us pray for our Christian friends, for our relations, that each one of us will have spiritual discernment and given that desire to try the spirits and to prove all things whether they come from God or not test the spirits against not against our, our ideas but against the word of God we pray that our Christian friends will look only to the word of God as the foundation the base for sound doctrine and prophecy rather than trusting in men or our experiences or even our own understanding look at second peter uh, second peter chapter 1 second peter chapter 1 and verse 20 knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation we have to take each scripture of prophecy in connection with all the other prophecies and doctrines of scripture it can't be isolated remember that and it can't be our own ideas all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is only through the scripture that we will come to, to be able to understand the doctrines and prophecies of scripture. We pray for leaders in churches that they won't be deceived but will warn and protect the flocks who are entrusted to their care on which they will be called to give account as to their stewardship of the flock of God. What is First Peter 5 and verse 2? Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Feed the flock of God, the pure word of God. And for those teachers and preachers who are teaching false doctrine we need to pray for these men that they will come to an understanding of the scriptures and that these doctrines they're teaching are not in accordance with the word of God we pray that God will raise up men and women of true spiritual stature to contend for the faith that was once delivered once for all delivered to the saints that we all may pray for ourselves for our church groups for our leaders for other churches for the body of Christ in these perilous times we live in times when false doctrines are rife we need to get back to the word of God we need men and women who will not be ashamed 
of the gospel, but prepared to stand up for Jesus. The old hymn, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. Ye that are men now serve him against unnumbered foes, their courage rise with danger. And grant, O God, that each one of us may be prepared to stand up for Jesus.